Amen. Let's take our Bibles. Turn to 1 Kings. First Kings chapter 18. We're going to um, continue this conversation we've been having for the last couple of weeks about uh, these questions, these great questions of the Bible. And uh, so far we've considered uh, am I obedient? And then last week we looked at am I repentant? This week we're going to look at am I committed? Am I committed to uh, fully to God and to Jesus as Lord? And we'll move forward with this as we go and look at serving and faithfulness and having right priorities. But today I want to share this passage with you. I think this is going to be a pretty common uh, story for most of us. I think we have read this Bible story before. I think it's rather iconic. I don't think we're going to struggle with that, but I do want to show you some typologies in it and show you some comparisons to where we are today. And um, I think we'll just read to begin with, starting in verse 17, and we'll read down through around verse 22 or 23. If you'll stand with me in reverence of the reading of God's word. 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain and remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut in pieces, and lay on wood, and put no fire under, and I will dress the other, and lay on wood, and put no fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. I want to share with you some thoughts this morning out of this very familiar passage. But I want you to begin even now challenging yourself. Am I fully committed? Am I fully committed? to God and to Jesus as Lord? This is the rest of the question. Or am I torn between my spiritual beliefs and my carnal experiences and desires? Do I stumble between knowing and feeling? Do I limp between believing 
and seeing. Challenge yourself with that in this next few minutes. Look at the similarities of this time to today. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for this good day. Thank you, Lord, for these that are gathered together to uh, fellowship, but Lord, to come together and study, to be taught of the word. Lord, we pray, God, that the blessed Holy Spirit would have his way this morning, be free to move among us and teach and to illuminate for us truths. Father, we pray that you might give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and Lord, most importantly, a will, a will to commit. Lord, I pray you'd work in a special way in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to get you to do me a favor and turn back probably one page in your scriptures to chapter 17, verse 1. I want to show you the context, and we can get that just as easily out of chapter 17, verse 1, as we can anywhere. In chapter 17, verse 1, it says that Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel liveth, wherefore or before whom I stand, there shall not dew nor rain these years. Uh, shall not there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. I want you to notice that the context for what we're looking at is that Samaria is under judgment. There has been judgment passed upon Samaria. If we think about who is Samaria? I think these things are uh, somewhat important. I think the more important topic comes later, but who is Samaria or what is Samaria? Samaria is the capital city of the northern kingdom. It is, uh, it is Jerusalem in the north. And after Solomon passed, uh, Rehoboam would ascend to the throne uh, through poor uh, uh, wicked decision making he would split the kingdoms ten kingdoms would revolt and become the northern or ten tribes would revolt and become the northern kingdom under jeroboam he would immediately establish idolatry and calf worship and this is a few hundred years later samaria has become the capital ahab is the king he's married to jezebel she is a a wicked wicked woman uh, she has brought with her Baalism and the, the worship of Baal. And God has sent his man Elijah. And they, they, there's been a, a condemnation made and the withholding of rain. The, the Bible would teach us here in the Old Testament that it's three years. James would say that it's three and a half. But it's a period of time. And what we need to comprehend is that Samaria is completely under the judgment of God. In this context, judgment is a drought. Sometimes uh, the context gives judgment to be applied. Other times the context gives judgment to be an invading army or a plague of insects. But all of it is a picture of God's wrath. More importantly, when you think about a drought or the lack of rain, the lack of sustenance, uh, that's a very strong picture, typologically speaking, of a dearth of the Word of God. Every time we look in the, throughout the scriptures, uh, 
and we see standing water. It's a picture of the Word of God. The lava of brass is a picture of the Word of God. When the shepherd leads you beside still waters, that's a picture of the Word of God. And here we have this capital city of the northern kingdom supporting millions of people. And they've been three and a half years without any rain and longer, even longer, without the Word of God. Without a clear representation of the Word of God. I want you to think about America in that context. See, there's, there's extremely clear pictures in this passage that are more than just an iconic Old Testament tale. I want you to think about America or the church today when we think about the idea of a drought. Because I would propose to you that there's a drought in our land as well. That there is a lacking of refreshment. That refreshment that is brought by the Holy Spirit of God. That there is a lacking of redemption. Uh, the redemption of the lost. That there is a, a lacking of regeneration of those who are spiritually dead. Yes, I would say to you that today America is a lot like Samaria. It's dry. We're, we're seeing already some of the wrath of God. Look at, and back in chapter 18, look at the condition. It's very simple, but it's, it's worth noting and, and peeling open a little bit. There in verse 2, it says, And there was a sore famine in Syria, and Samaria, excuse me. This is the idea that Samaria is suffering a great need. They're, they're in a sore famine. It's, it's not clearly defined here. There's, there's some indication. If you read uh, starting around verse 5 and read down, uh, you could get a picture of how bad the, the drought is because the king and his number one guy, Obadiah, have decided to go out and look for water and anywhere that there might still be grass growing so they could save whatever livestock is left. And, and the king didn't send some of his representatives. He said, I'll go this way and you go that way. Let's see if we can find anything left that we might could save what we have left here. So that gives us one picture of the famine and the drought. But, but there's other pictures provided for us. I don't know if you've ever read, but in 2 Kings under Elisha, uh, there's also a drought. And in that drought, uh, they were selling uh, dove dung to eat. Uh, in that drought, it was uh, so bad that they were boiling their own young children. And they were fighting over who had and who hadn't and whose turn it was. In, in, uh, if you go on a little further, uh, you'll find out when Sennacherib's army was standing against Hezekiah, this was the threat. And this is, this is about what it's like under a famine or a drought or a siege because they all do the same thing. Uh, they, the threat was if you want to be eating your own dung and drinking your own urine... Stand against us. 
I want you to get this picture in your mind of, of how bad the situation was in Samaria. They were facing a great need. This is what is ironic about that. Baal, the God that they were worshiping, he's the God of the weather. In their culture, Baal's the God of the weather. In their culture, Baal is the one that brings the rain and brings the sun and brings the right stuff at the right time to make the crops grow. In their culture, Baal is wed to Ashtoreth. She's the goddess of fertility. Yes. So in their culture, uh, the gods that they're worshiping, Baal and Asherah, or Ashtoreth, or Astarted, however you want to pronounce it, there's several different ways, uh, they should be able to provide every need that they are currently under. There should not be a drought. There should not be a famine. They're worshiping the god of the weather. They are worshiping the goddess of fertility. They are paying all of this respect, but, but the problem is they weren't delivering. It's not raining. It's not prospering. It's not producing. Can I tell you something? That's very much like the God of this world. Amen. Now, uh, we, we hear God of this world in church, and, and when, we, when we're in a church, we hear somebody say God of this world, if, we've, if, we've, if we're good Bereans and we've been bought, brought up in the Word, we think Satan. Satan is the God of this world. And that's absolutely true. He's the prince of the power of the air. But I want to I propose to you another God of this world who is no God at all. It's just the God of this world. By, by that I mean it's the person or the entity or the thing that this world who are not believers, who are not Christians, thank when they want to thank something other than themselves. They want to thank God. God hope, God willing. They, when, that's just the word they use. It's just another word. It's, and that's the God of this world. And that God is supposed to provide happiness, healthiness, and wholeness. And all things that are needed. That superstitious God. That rabbit's foot God. That, that maybe so God. He's supposed to provide all of your health, all of your happiness, and all of your wealth. But this is the problem. Uh, he can provide happiness, the God of this world can, but he cannot provide joy. And happiness without joy is empty. He can provide, not only can he provide happiness, he can provide healthiness, but he can't give life. There's no life in it. You're dead. He can provide happiness, he can provide healthiness, and many seek for wholeness but they experience no fruit. There's no production. That's what the God of this world does. Because even in the world we live in today, there's a sore famine. It's dry. The, the God of this world has failed to provide anything except for a weak imitation. This is the God of this world. They cling to many, cling to their money. They cling to their immorality, their wickedness, their careers, their hobbies, their possessions, and etc., etc. 
But those are just representatives of an idolatrous culture. They're the bales of this world. They're the bales of this generation. Listen to what the, the Lord Jesus said concerning those things. Uh, no man can serve two masters. You, you'll love one and, and, and hate the other or you'll cling to one and despise the other. Nobody can serve God and mammon. And so when we see this condition that, that Samaria is in, my whistles and bells go off and I think, man, America's right there. I'm seeing it. Look, look at the charge in chapter 18, verse 1. It says that, uh, that it came to pass after many days, about three and a half years, uh, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go and show thyself unto Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. This is what I want you to get out of this passage, out of that verse right there. I want you to notice that Elijah is sent to represent God. It's very important that you see this right here. Very important that you comprehend this right here. God sends his man. And so when we look at Elijah, uh, we could say, well, Elijah represents the word of God because he does. He speaks the word of God. So that's a picture of the word of God. God has sent the word of God to this wicked king. We could also say that he represents the man of God. Whatever, however you define man of God in your life, whether it be pastor, preacher, prophet, whatever. He sent the man of God. There's God's man speaking to this king. Can I tell you who else he can represent? He can represent the church because the church is God's representative. Do you know who comprises the church? The Christian. Do you know what that means? That means that you, the Christian, are God's representative. God has sent you to Ahab. God has sent you to Samaria. God has sent you to America. Why has he sent you there? Because there's a curse. What is the curse? It's a sore famine. There's a drought. People are dying. People are starving for the truth. We, we have this picture of, of us, you, maybe God's vessel, his chosen vessel, maybe you are God's representative. Maybe the church is his representative. And you know what we need to do? And what we need to do is what Elijah is going to do. Declare the God of the Bible. Yes, sir. Not, not an ambiguous God. Not an ambiguous Lord. Not a hippie Jesus. The God of the Bible. That we would be God's representative and declare that. Can I, can I say this? If there is going to be peace, joy, and love, it will be because of the God of the Bible. He's the only one that can provide that. If there's going to be healing, helping, and hope, it'll be because of the God of the Bible. He's the only one that can provide that. If there's going to be an end to the drought, it'll be because of the God of the Bible. It won't be because of some God of weather. It'll be because of the God of the Bible. I also want you to take a moment here as we're moving forward. I want to I give you just a little bit of information about Baal. Because I think this is, uh, when I read this uh, just in the last week or two, I thought it was so indicative. And we see it all the time. There's one raging on the internet right now. That's a great example of this. 
Let me, let me tell you. So, so I told you that Baal was the god of weather. Uh, this is the, the truth. The word Baal just means Lord. And if you look through the scriptures, I didn't go through the trouble, uh, but there's Baal Peor, Baal Hermon, Baal. There's all kinds of Baal. In fact, in verse uh, 18 that we read where Elijah said it's your fault because you followed Balaam, that's plural for Baals, for a Baal. It's a, we would say Baals. You followed multiple Baals. And Balaam is plural for that. So, so it, the, the understanding is that this, just because something bears the name of God or Lord doesn't mean it's God or Lord. And just because someone names the name God or Lord, and in our day and time, Jesus, it doesn't mean that they're Christian. And this is the more important aspect. It doesn't mean that they've got the same God as you do. It's just a term and they're often used in, in places of ambiguity. You'll see this, this godless individual who has a... A, a career doing something that is godless in front of godless people for godless amounts of monies, win a godless award, and they'll say, well, I just want to thank God. Which God are they thanking? The problem is we embrace them. As if, if, if there is a, a movie star or or a, a, an entertainment star that says God, oh, hey, we've got something in common. No, we don't. That's the problem that was going on here. We're going to see it more clearly in a minute. But listen to what Paul says about this idea of, of these things intertwining. It's another very familiar passage. You've read it in 2 Corinthians. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Listen. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with, with, with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an unbeliever? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? So we've used this verse for years uh, in a couple of different ways. The conclusion of that verse is come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I'll accept you. And so, so we've used that verse for years in a couple of ways. We love to hit people with it when they're going to get married. All right. We love to talk about unequally yoked right there. And we love to use it uh, in terms of separation. But that separation that uses that verse uh, typically turns into a legalistic isolationism. And those things are not right. I want you to listen to what Paul is talking about. He is talking about partnerships and relationships between believers and non-believers. But he's also talking about relationships between right and wrong, light and dark, God and idols. So if I'm living a godless life, practicing a godless behavior and thanking God for my success, something's wrong. I'm either talking about a God who is no God. Or I'm just completely confused. Look at the, the contention between Ahab and Elijah. And that's what we read. I want you to notice though that Ahab sees Elijah. 
Remember verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 1. It said unto uh, Ahab, the Lord God of Israel, uh, whom I liveth before where I stand, uh, that it's not going to rain. Because of you, Ahab, it's not going to rain. And then here in this verse, Ahab sees Elijah, and look what he says. Art thou he that troubleth Israel? There's a principle right here. It happens to the church all the time today. And it happens to believers all the time today. Are you, there you are. There he is. That's the guy. That's the one. You're the one causing all the trouble for Israel. Yes, sir. And Elijah said, they have, look, it's not me. It's you and all those false gods you're worshiping that's causing the problem. Just because I pointed the problem out doesn't mean I'm the one causing the trouble. We have this, this contention. Ahab immediately attempts to assign Israel's difficulty to Elijah. We see similar arguments today. Very similar today. That They seem to suggest that if, if Christians would just accept wickedness and unrighteousness, then indeed everything would be well and that in that what they they're, they're suggesting that in our attempts to live in accordance with God we are exasperating the problem and causing the difficulties that's the, that's the suggestion you should just embrace this but you know where that comes from it comes from a hybrid form of the gospel that is Wrapped up in the status quo of our legal system and our constitution. That does this. If we can make it a right or a law, then the church ought to ordain it and embrace it. Can, can I, I want to I share this with you. I don't believe anybody would be surprised. Uh, somebody on the internet might be surprised. They don't know me. I don't believe anybody would be surprised. Just because the court says that abortion is okay doesn't make it righteous. It's still wicked. Just because the court says that homosexual marriage is okay does not make it righteous. We don't need to embrace that. It's wicked. It is immorality. Just because the court says that, that certain drugs should be legal and states have made them legal doesn't mean the church ought to embrace that. It's still unrighteousness. And so we have this, this hybrid gospel that's constantly putting pressure. Listen to what Peter said about that pressure. You remember it? Standing in front of the Sanhedrin in the book of Acts. They said, look, are we going to let you go? But don't go preaching in his name anymore. And Peter said, uh, I think we ought to obey God rather than men. Maybe not so sarcastically, but I suspect it was pretty close. I think if, you, if it's okay with you, Mr. Your Honor, I believe I'm just going to obey the one that created me. And, and you can go uh, fly a kite. But that's the problem. The society puts the pressure on the church. And the church caves to the pressure. Elijah says to Ahab, look, it's not me. <laughs> Just because I measured it 12 inches, don't blame, my, don't blame me that it's a foot. It's not me. Why don't you go get... Go get all your prophets. I want you to know he didn't go get all of them. They protected 400 of them. Go get them. Bring everybody together. 
This is what we're going to do. And then we get to the, the impetus of the sermon when Elijah is, is walking uh, out to that contest, the challenge that he gives to the people is, is that how long halt you between two opinions? Let's see this until uh, just in the last little while. I, I want to remind you, Joshua chapter 24, when Joshua said, uh, look, you, you need to serve the Lord your God. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord God. Uh, if you want to serve the gods of your fathers or the gods of the Amorites on the other side of the river, you go ahead and do that. But I, as for me and my house, and everybody agreed, that's who we're going to serve. So much so that Joshua said, you won't be able to serve him. They said, we will. We'll all serve him. This is a similar challenge. I, uh, Elijah says here, how long are you going to limp between these two opinions? How long are you going to be hot between two opinions? Either God is God and you serve him or Baal is God and you serve him. But quit serving one and crying to the other. I want you to notice what the people said. Look at that verse right there. Verse 21. And the people answered him, not a word. You know what occurs to me? This is some opinion, so you take this with a grain of salt. I think they were wrapped in ignorance and they didn't know the difference. I think that's what's happening in our world today. They don't know the difference. A lot of that responsibility, by the way, falls on the church. They don't know the difference. If you, if you go and look historically at Baalism and the way that they worship and you look at Judaism and the way they worship, there's a lot of similarities. That is because Satan is a great imitator. And this is a generation of people that was raised with those things sitting on top of one another. They didn't answer because they didn't know. They needed to be shown what Elijah is about to show them. I think that this, where the question comes in for us is, who am I serving? Am I serving Jehovah God or, or am I struggling with this idea of my, my own desires? Right? We all do, right? We're, we're all dual natured if we're born again. The old man, the old sin nature's in there wanting what it wants and the new man, that new nature's in there desiring to serve and and as long as we lean into that new one and do like Paul said, die daily and crucify the flesh and we're walking in the spirit and then we get up one day and we don't die that day and we don't crucify the flesh and at the end of the day we look back and we think, man, I walked all day long wrong. You halted between two opinions that day. The question is, how long am I going to give in to those desires and those feelings and those emotions? Or, or when am I just going to determine that, that God's God and I'm going to serve him no matter what? I, I, I would say to you this, I, I, and I want this because I don't, I, look, we, we all struggle. Man, I, I live the same struggles, maybe worse, I don't know. It's tough. I'm not suggesting that, that we live in abject poverty or take a vow of poverty. But the Bible would teach that we need to make sure that we own our possessions and our possessions don't own us. Amen. There's a problem with that in American culture. Amen. 
Uh, I, I also don't believe that, that we need to live communally and have all things in common. But I do, need, do believe we need to live as a community and utilize our gifts and abilities to lead others to Christ, saving them. Jude would say snatching them from the flames. I don't believe that we need to be monks wearing hair shirts and mutilating ourselves in order to defeat the body. But we do need, as Paul said, to deny the flesh and die daily and walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. And those things are things that we commit to. You're not just going to get up and do it as a matter of second nature. But what's going on today is that we have many that are seeking the blessings of God on the works of the flesh. They want God to bless what they're already doing in their works of the flesh. They, they, we also have people that are, they want to experience the goodness of God while they are expressing the wickedness of the flesh. It's, it's almost insanity in any other realm, but in the realm of faith, it happens all the time. They, they desire a filling of the Spirit of God. Filling, F-I-L-L-I-N-G. And, and, but they're so full of the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. The contest that occurs after this is brilliant. If you've not read it lately, I suggest you read it. It's about the next 10 or 12 verses. They slaughter the animals. The prophets of Baal cut their animal up, build their altar, put it on the altar. They go to wailing and crying and begging and pleading and cutting themselves and bleeding. And, and, and Elijah uh, constantly mocking them, call him again. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on a trip, but not to no avail. And then when they've exhausted and depleted all of their efforts, Elijah takes his bull, builds his altar. Puts his sacrifice on, douses it with water three times, fills up the trough with water and prays to God and the fire of God falls and licks it up. This is the point. All of the people believed. The contest is where Elijah exposes the falsehood of Baal. These other gods are no gods at all. The, the bales in, in our lives today, they're not really gods. They're distractions from the real God. They're, they're false. They're, they're not real. They cannot help. They cannot prosper. This is what they are. They're works of a depraved imagination. And that depraved imagination finds its inspiration in the God of this world. The, the question is this. What does the church do in this situation? What do you do in this situation? It's not an opinion. There are all sorts of false gods vying for the attention of the God followers. There are all sorts of false gods imitating the real God, seeking to distract. They would go on to destroy and kill. That's not an opinion. That's fact. What do we do about it? How do we come to a place of, of complete commitment? Do we challenge ourselves? 
Would you stand with me this morning? Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. What's your challenge to yourself today? Are you fully committed to God? You're fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? You recognize the other false gods? You realize how that distraction is taking place? Would you say there's an area in life where you could do better? Lord knows there is for me. How would you answer the Lord today? How would you answer Elijah? Are you caught between two opinions? I don't know your need today, but I know you have one. It's a condition of the flesh. I wish that you would come, spend time with the Lord, consider the idea of commitment. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. I pray you'd work in Jesus' name. Did you come today? There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name. way just for a moment. Thank you so much for your attention this morning. As always, we ask you to meditate on these truths and think, think, see where your commitment is. We're going to be dismissed in just a moment. We do have church conference immediately following this service. It uh, won't take long. It's a celebratory conference. We'll take just a couple of minutes, uh, but we'll dismiss in prayer and then give you time to depart if you would like to. You're welcome to stay. We'd love to have you stay with us. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good day. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings and for your mercies. Lord, I pray you'd help us to challenge ourselves. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to meditate on these truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.